0: And now, your host, Vina Jones Cox,
1: good afternoon. I am Vina Jones Cox, and this is real life real estate investing, where this week is every week we're working our fingers to the bone to bring you the best information and inspiration we can for you to start or grow your own real estate investing business and this is this is like a special bonus show because I wasn't supposed to be here today. We were supposed to be running a what we call an evergreen show I was supposed to be in St. Louis giving a talk to Heartland Rhea in St. Louis and then the Blues had to blow that second to last game making the Stanley Cup finals in St. Louis tonight which made it sort of um, you know not a great idea to be having a competing event there (laughs) so go Blues we just moved the meeting to tomorrow night. It's not that I'm not going, but yeah, surprise to me that I'm here in Cincinnati, and I don't know. I don't know whether to hope the Blues win or lose for the mood of the audience tomorrow night at Heartland. So today we're going to talk about a topic that has been—it's uh, been sort of evolving over the course of the past year or so, and that is opportunity zones. Some. New information uh, came out recently from the government about uh, how these things are going to work. And it appears to just be getting better and better all the time. It's also a topic I know a lot of people are very curious about, but don't know very much about. So I have invited our very favorite tax attorney, Mr. John Heyer, to come on the air today and try to explain to all of us why we need to be uh, focused on these Opportunity Zones. He's joining us today from his now part-time temporary home in Columbus, Ohio. Welcome, John Heyer. Hey,
2: Vena. And actually, I'm back in Puerto Rico already.
1: Holy cow! You, you, you know you have to be back here in a week to give a two-day seminar, right?
2: I'm only doing it for you,
1: Vina. <laughs> but you could have just stayed in Columbus and then driven down to Cincinnati on the twenty second. And oh. it seems like that would have been easier. All the kids
2: are here. All the kids are here, and they demanded beach time. And the drinking age here is eighteen, so there are evidently other activities <laughs> involved.
1: <laughs> I see, I see. And 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 now that we've we've weirdly brought up the fact that you live in Puerto Rico now, it, it and since we're talking about taxes, we we might want to talk about why.
2: My tax rate for my law practice in Puerto Rico is about 6% federal, state, and local income taxes combined.
1: Yeah, I think that's something a lot of people don't understand about Puerto Rico, which, you know, is in fact a territory of the United States. It's not like you move to a foreign country. But I, ga- I gather this is something that uh, that uh, Puerto Rico did in order to attract people like yourself to come live on the island.
2: Yeah, it's a unique status they have. The IRS follows you. If you go to a foreign country, the only place this is conceivably possible, the territory, and Puerto Rico did exactly what you said. They're looking to attract various sorts of entrepreneurs, people who will hire, people who will spend money, and saving that kind of tax money is one heck of an incentive.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one heck of a move from Columbus to Puerto Rico. Very yeah, it's a little
2: bit of a transition, but I'm looking out on the bay, and it's about 83.
1: Hmm. Nice. Yeah, well, um, FYI, it is uh, 80 and incredibly humid here in Cincinnati, just in case you want to compare what you were doing to what we're doing here. Um, so we're going to talk today about Opportunity Zones, and the first thing I want to kind of get out there for people who are listening is can you tell us who ought to be paying attention to this? Like, like for which kinds of investors is this an important thing to know a lot about? It
2: can work for someone with a service business or a flipping business, but it is custom-made for people who buy and hold, whether it's rentals or commercial. And it's really two types of areas. These opportunity zones are either blighted, low-income-ish, or gentrifying-type areas.
1: Mm-hmm hmm. So landlords who are already buying, renovating, holding properties in those areas or people who are the you know there's there's a there's a huge business right now of uh, people who are doing turnkey rentals for landlords, often in the same areas that you're describing, uh, can get some just unbelievable tax benefits by continuing to do what they're already doing
2: it would be lunacy not to do this if you're already doing business in those areas whether turnkey buy and hold even flipping there there are ways to angle it but really it's the buy and hold if you're gonna sit on properties for a while or sell properties and 1031 into other properties it's custom made for you
1: okay so having having said that and before we before we go to break here opportunity zones I think Sounds like something that somebody invented to sell a course. Like, they, <laughs> like they, they did, they did, a, they did a good job of naming it, right? It sounds like so exciting that I think a lot of people are like, "Oh, this is just some, this is just some, you know, new way to get me to spend money on a course." But that, that's not what it is. Can you, can you talk about what, what this was, why this was created, and what opportunity zones are?
2: You know, it's one of the very few bipartisan things in congress there was some support from both sides the republicans spearheaded it it's designed to attract a lot of investment to areas that have otherwise not done very well so these zones are actually specific census tracts that were negotiated at the state level of which areas qualify and which ones don't and by and large low-income areas by and large gentrifying areas
1: and and that includes by the way lots of rural areas when when i look oh, at yes. the opportunity zone maps they the, the little pink areas tend to be in the cities and then when you look outside the cities there are big swaths of them like i was looking at our area here and uh big chunks of them in indiana and kentucky down in between like cincinnati and louisville and between cincinnati and indianapolis
2: and I'll mention that most of Puerto Rico is also an opportunity zone. They got a special gift from the federal government. I have a client who's going to buy a beach house in an opportunity zone, rent it to himself, which under federal income tax law is legit as long as it's fair market value.
1: Hmm interesting and and for folks who are listening and now they're all oh my gosh I wonder where the opportunity zone maps are the opportunity zones in my area are there's actually a uh, a web link that I sent out to the real life real estate listeners early today earlier today called opportunityzonesmap.com opportunityzonesmap.com and the purple areas or maybe they're meant to be pink I don't know uh, are the opportunity zones so if uh, if you're not driving in your car listening you're sitting someplace safe. You can go to opportunity Zones, plural, map.com and uh, see what it is we're talking about. And we are going to take your questions about the Opportunity Zones, what's required, uh, what the possibilities are. I'm sure there's folks out there who have specific questions that they already had in mind. You can give us a call at 877-772-9658. Again, that's 877 877- 772 9658, or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina jones scox We're talking today about opportunity zones, and there have been some new developments in opportunity zones over the last few months. It seems to be an evolving thing up in Washington and so we're gonna we're gonna kinda cover the basic parts of it but then also this new stuff that is happening that has John weirdly excited like he gets more animated talking about opportunity zones than just about anything I hear him talk about other than a really high-quality bottle of rum so uh, John this is the, the opportunity zones were set up by Congress to spur economic development both both residential and commercial in these in these areas that they've identified. In in what way are they spurring it? Like what what are they giving us to go buy and rehab and own houses in these areas?
2: Massive tax benefits. It's rare I say this, but for the people for whom it fits, it's even better than a Roth IRA. And I almost never say that. <laughs> uh, let's go through the benefits. Benefit number one: If you have capital gains and you're able to invest those capital gains. So let's say you sold a rental property back in 2018, any time in 2018, or you have a K-1 from a partnership or S-Corp return from 2018. You have till June 28th to invest the amount of money equal to the capital gain in one of these funds, which is really just a, a basically a glorified LLC. If you do that, here's what happens. First, the capital gain is deferred until twelve thirty one twenty six. You got an extra seven years to plan on paying that. You don't have to pay it now. Second, up to fifteen percent of those capital gains can be forgiven if you hold the fund, that is the LLC, long enough. And here's the big one. I like to call this the JLO benefit because it's a it's a marvelous large back end. It is tax free if you hold the LLC, the Opportunity Zone Fund, for 10 years. Once it turns 10, it can sell Opportunity Zone properties that generate a capital gain, such as rentals, tax free, and not pay back all the depreciation they took over the years. And you've got about 20 years to play that game, right? So if you set one of these up now, it turns 10 in 2029, you have till 2047 to buy rehab or, or do what you're going to do with the property, rent it out presumably for a while, and sell it. And now that the fund is past 10 years old, those sales are tax-free with no depreciation recapture. You put all that together and it's a ridiculous level of tax benefit.
1: Okay, so let's, let's, let's walk through this with some real fake numbers, okay? Um, I'm getting ready to sell a property that I have owned for about 30 years. That, that part's true. I'm going to have about 25,000 in capital gains but I also have to recapture all of the depreciation which is all of it. Like it's it's almost over with. So when I sell that property, only the 25,000 in capital gains parts apart is what I get the buy on for right now. I get to not pay that right now if I invest in one of these opportunity zone funds.
2: Let me clarify. Does the twenty-five gram include the depreciation recapture, or is that an additional That's number? That's
1: additional.
2: It all counts. The depreciation recapture is considered capital gain, <gasps> except for personal property. So the depreciation recapture on stoves and furniture and carpet doesn't qualify. The depreciation recapture on the rental is capital gain it qualifies. So the number I suspect is a good bit larger than 25 grand.
1: Yes, the the depreciation recapture was actually the more painful part of that sale because it's, you know, it it's almost fully depreciated and I have to pay all that back now and then on top of that the capital gains and I was considering doing a 1031 exchange but now I think maybe I ought to be doing this other thing instead.
2: It's going to depend on the numbers, which one makes the most sense. And the difference is the back end, right On the 1031, you defer the gains and you defer all of them longer. You don't have to pay them in 20, let's see in 2026. Here you only get the deferrals for 2026. 15% of those will be forgiven. the other 85% you report 2026. But this allows you to put a seed into that LLC, That to the extent you grow this, for example, into other rentals, the gain on those through 2047 is tax-free. So the real question is, what are you going to do? If you're going to invest in something and stand pat, then probably the 1031 is better if you plan on holding until you die or 1031 until you die. On the other hand, if you intend to keep growing this thing and turn this seed into something, then I think the opportunity zone is the better option.
1: Interesting. Okay. So... When I sell when I sell this property, I'm gonna have uh it's gonna it sells it's selling for eighty. I owe forty. Let's call it. I've got twenty five thousand in capital gains, and pretty much all the rest of the eighty is, you know, de- gonna be depreciation recapture taxed. Do I need to put the whole eighty into one of these prop these funds like I do in a ten thirty one exchange, or did you say I only had to reinvest the capital gains?
2: Only the capital gain which includes the recapture. So let's let's say that you're let's say there's land worth ten. So if you're selling it for eighty, let's say your total gain between cap gain and recapture is seventy, you would have to reinvest the seventy into one of these. If it's a ten thirty one, you would have to reinvest the entire
1: 80 Mm-hmm. That 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 actually does make a difference too. Uh, okay, so then then I, I take my money and I go put it into one of these funds and you're telling me that if I because you know in Cincinnati and Columbus you can buy properties in opportunity zones still for thirty-five, forty-five thousand dollars put 10 or 15 into rehabbing them, have them you can
2: feed more money into this you know so you put in let's say the 70 that's your equity. you are allowed to lend you personally this isn't like an IRA where there's a prohibition on you lending to the entity you or someone else can lend to the entity i would say up to nine times the capital you have in it so it expands the amount of money you can jam into it and deploy
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so the um so i so i buy a property in linden or something and i'm all in for sixty-five thousand dollars, and that that happens to be one of those areas that parts of it are actually going up pretty fast they're they're it's being redeveloped pretty quickly and you're saying that if uh, in 10 years, if that property is worth now 150, so it's worth more than twice what I paid for it, I can sell it. And what happens to the capital gains?
2: All right, so the cap gains that you would have paid on this sale are deferred till 2026, and you pay 85% of those in 2026. The appreciation on the new property, so in this case it doubled, it went up to 140. That 70 in cap gains is tax free. Even though you were depreciating the property for those ten years,
1: hmm, that's pretty incredible.
2: Now here's my angle: if you're able to, and I think you are, I would borrow, let's just say five times the seventy thousand from the fund. I wouldn't buy one of those properties; I'd buy six. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, if you intend to do that, this beats a ten thirty-one. It's not even close. So if you're going to stand pat and reinvest the money, eh, maybe 1031's better. Now we really got to run the numbers. If you're going to go and expand the thing or, for example, buy one property, do a cash out refi, presumably at a greater amount, and then go get another property with a cash out refi and keep the chain going, this makes far more sense.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So I want to invite listener questions at 877-772-9658, or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is John Heyer, who is a tax attorney who has been uh, doing a lot of research on the Opportunity Zone stuff that uh, has has come out and uh, really over the last six to seven months is when it's been active and there's a lot of misunderstanding about it. Um, I've asked a couple of CPAs if I could benefit from it and they said, well, I don't think so because it's really complicated to set up and and I I think that maybe what that meant was I don't understand how to set it up. So, um let's talk about that john i can't just like go buy a property in an opportunity zone and say ha i don't pay taxes on it
2: No, there are some moving parts but they're not as bad as it could be you should set up an opportunity zone fund which is especially set up llc it meets certain requirements it can be done for small investors in fact that's mostly what i'm doing so people think with these large law firms that are going after big funds you know million dollar multi-million dollar things We've set some up for as small as $20,000 contributions. Um, it's, it's economical to do. What has to happen? So the LLC is set up. Then it goes and buys the property once the cash is contributed to it. And the key is this. The property has to be in the opportunity zone, and one of four criteria have to, have to be fulfilled. Either you spend more money rehabbing than you spend on the building. So you exclude the land, whatever the building cost is, you got to match it on rehab or you buy something that's been abandoned five years or you do a new build. And here's when you and I have not yet discussed or you buy from someone and it has never been depreciated. If you buy from a homeowner and then you go look and it looks like nobody ever used it for a rental property or other business property in the opportunity zone, you're the first one using it for business. You don't have to rehab it as long as it's in the zone. So one of those criteria.
1: Okay, I I I was writing them down and I missed number three. So either I have to let's say buy it for twenty and then spend twenty five rehabbing it, which is not hard. In a lot of these older houses, number two it has to have been abandoned for five years. Number three was, or it could be a new build. New build, and number or even
2: taking over a new build you could get someone that something someone started but never finished.
1: Okay. And then number 4 is if you buy it from a homeowner and, and thus it has never appeared on anybody's like rental schedule with the IRS.
2: Yeah, you probably want to take a look at the property tax records and see if an LLC ever owned it. If not, it's very likely it's never been rented.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Okay, and then there's this there's this fund. There's this there's this LLC that you have referenced several times that has to actually own the property, right? Correct. And and what's special about that LLC? Like, how's it different than any other LLC I might own?
2: So it's, now we, now we start explaining the details. It's really two LLCs. The way we're structuring these right now, based on how the law is written, there's a fund and it owns what's called a qualified opportunity zone business. It's funded solely with capital gains. We prefer to not have mixed funds with qualifying and non-qualifying money. It drives up the expense. The operating agreement has to have certain things in it, and it gets tested twice a year. Depending on the test, seventy to ninety percent of the assets in the LLC have to be qualified opportunities on property. So you can buy other property in there. You just can't buy too much of it. And of course, there are various IRS forms to file.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, and then and then so that's that's the fund and then the business entity is what?
2: Similar. Uh, It's an entity that's a subsidiary of the fund, likewise has certain things that should be in the operating agreement and has to meet its own tests. The fund has to own 90 percent ops owned property. Mm -hmm. If it owns this subsidiary, that counts as a hundred percent. The subsidiary does. Mm. The subsidiary has to own 70 percent or more opportunities on property. So the rules are a little lighter And the rules are lighter in terms of putting cash into the subsidiary. Specifically, you can't just sit on cash. It either has to be within six months of being put in the fund, put into the subsidiary. And then once it's in the subsidiary, you got 31 months to come up with a finished product, a rehabbed property or whatever it is your finished product is going to be.
1: Okay. Okay. So now I'm seeing dollar signs because when there's something this specialized... And when, when I'm talking to CPAs who just kind of blow off the whole thing, I start thinking, all right, so there's going to be like three really expensive law firms in the whole country who know how to set these up, and they're going to be $20,000 a piece.
2: I would say what law firms are normally charging uh, is between 6000 to 12000 to do it. And I think it's absurd. Uh, for these small funds, that's way, way, way too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's what I am seeing, the range out there. I run into these guys because I travel and go to conferences where they're at and quietly watch what they're doing. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what do you think a more reasonable number to look for to set up a fund like this might be?
2: Um, I I haven't seen a lot of competition out there. I can only speak from experience. We normally are looking right around 3500 and that includes the first year's tax returns, one year of consulting on these questions such as does this asset qualify, did we make the 90% test, what happens if we don't, et cetera. Mm
1: -hmm. Is it going to take a specialist to file the tax returns? Somebody should know what
2: they're doing, yeah. Yeah, they got to have, typically with with the kind of stuff you're looking at, they should know both real estate quite well and have a strong grasp of the Opportunity Zone fund rules, which I'm finding, as you said, very few CPAs have that grasp.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. okay so as always when the when the irs or the government gets involved there are going to be some hurdles to jump through which is why we why we learn this stuff before we jump in and try and do it because I bet there's a bunch of people out there right now just buying properties in low-income areas and saying see now I don't have to pay taxes and yeah
2: we've had a few of those we've been able to fix a few where people bought opportunities on properties without bothering to check the rules we've had a few where we were able to fix it it wasn't far enough off that it was fatal and unfortunately, I have seen quite a few where people went and did this themselves, and I just couldn't fix it. They they, they passed up the time to comply with the rules.
1: hmm mm-hmm. All right. So let let's go to some questions from listeners. Uh, and the the first two are, are are sort of similar. And I think I'm gonna. I think I know what you're gonna say, and that you'll be able to dispose of these pretty quickly. Uh, this one is from Sam. He says, "If I already have a rental in the zone with a mortgage in my personal name, is it possible to convert?" its use for the tax benefits the
2: only way that would work is if it was acquired after january 1 of 18 into an llc that either owns nothing else or very little else those are the ones we've been able to salvage if it was acquired before that date or into an llc with a bunch of other stuff we're probably out of luck on that
1: similar question if I have a land contract started five years ago in an opportunity zone and I buy out the remaining balance this year, would it qualify? And I think what he's saying is he's the vendee. He's buying it on a land contract, and maybe his balloon has come up and he wants to cash it out this year and is wondering if he can put it in an an opportunity zone fund.
2: Unfortunately not. The fund has to buy it, and the land contract under tax law is considered a purchase. So he's deemed to have bought it four or five years ago
1: hmm okay, so Jonathan, next one, not this one next one uh okay, question from Sarah, what would be the characteristics of a lease option deal that might meet the trade or business test for capital gains versus one that would fail that test and and let me give let me give a little background on this, John for listeners who that just might have been like too many <laughs> too many jargony words. Uh, What she wants to do is she wants to buy a property there and then instead of renting it, she wants to lease option it to someone in the hopes of creating a homeowner. And her question is, uh, is there any way to structure that to meet the trader business test that the IRS has for whether you actually get the tax deductions?
2: Yeah, you probably want to make sure that you're still on the hook for maintenance and maybe a few other things. Here's the test. If it looks like a triple net lease where... The, the the person renting is on the hook for taxes, insurance and all the work. That's a problem. With most lease options, the landlord's still on the hook for insurance and taxes. So probably between that and just a little bit of activity on say maintenance, and it's probably still a trader business.
1: hmm hmm So what you don't I don't think it's hard to do. What don't you don't want to, to do, do is make it is make it make it appear that you have turned over all of the ongoing investment to the person who's living there. Exactly. Okay. All right. Uh, Are we in need of a break? Because I've got like five more questions here from from people. Okay. Uh, So this one is from, uh, wait, I lost it on my phone here. This one is from Bob. He says, does refinancing an opportunity zone property held in any way affect the capital gains tax deferral?
2: it depends on what you do with the proceeds if you keep the refi of the property within the opportunity zone fund or the subsidiaries you're fine if you distribute it there are restrictions and very loosely put because they're still developing these rules if you cash out if you distribute a refi within two years that's a problem if you distribute after two years it's probably okay for the cpas listening These are the disguised sale rules under Section 707, and they're still fine-tuning that.
1: Okay. Uh, This question is from either Jeannie or Jean. I'm not sure how to pronounce the two Ns and the E. Uh, She says, how would we define or prove that a property had been abandoned for five years? Is there any documentation that the IRS would be looking for that we'd need to provide? You know,
2: I'd probably talk to neighbors. I'd probably talk to code inspectors. I'd get some testimonial to show that you at least did some due diligence. It's a facts and circumstances thing, so I don't think there's a cut-and-dried way to do it. Talk to people.
1: Uh, and, and, and one interesting group of people to talk to would be the utility company. Oh, there you go. I think, I think if the utility company will you know, send you something saying that, yeah, the water was off for the last six years— <laughs> that's a that's a pretty good sign that maybe it's been abandoned for that I... long.
2: I like it. I'm adding
1: it to the list. All right. I'll send you my bill. Uh, You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to tax attorney John Heyer about opportunity zones. And uh, really, really, it's largely been listener questions. So if you have a question, you can either give us a call at 877-772-9658, or alternatively, you can send it to askvena at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to John Heyer, who, uh, by the way, is uh, doing, along with John Bowens, a two-day seminar on IRA and retirement fund investing here in Cincinnati on June the 22nd and 23rd. I just attended that last weekend, and um, I thought I had... Completely studied all of that stuff to the nth degree, and I learned a bunch of stuff, and I learned some new strategies that uh, I did not know one could do in an IRA or 401k or health savings account. It's being sponsored by the nonprofit Cincinnati REIA and you can get more information about it and grab a seat at Cincinnatiria.com That's cincinnati r e i a Now, John, you know I'm so like real estate oriented. I forget that there's such a thing as capital gains on other kinds of investments and I was just looking at the IRS's website about opportunity zone funds and it it you know everyone else probably knew this but apparently you can sell stock and reinvest the capital gains into opportunity zone funds.
2: In other words, unlike a like-kind exchange, things don't have to be like-kind. Any capital gain can be rolled into one of these.
1: Yes, that's uh that that's very interesting for people who are uh thinking about getting off the stock market roller coaster and I'm I'm sure that you have uh already seen this. Uh there are now a lot of funds being set up where people can just they can put their money in there and then the folks who own the fund actually go out and find the properties and do the rehabs and manage them and all that stuff. So like almost immediately, people started setting up passive ways for peop- for folks to do this.
2: Right. So, so different models. It's a great way to attract money because of all the tax benefits. The money that's being attracted is generally happy with a lower return because the tax benefits jump up the return. Or you set up a do-it-yourself. You're going to run it. The the whole gamut. The whole range isn't
1: play. Mhm. Mhm. So if if all I'm doing is investing my capital gains in somebody else's fund in order to get these tax benefits, do do I need to do anything else? I mean, do I need to do I need to be like a partial owner of the properties or can they treat that like it's just a, you know, a pool of mortgage money that they can go buy properties with? Can they can they just say no you no you don't own any of the properties, you just get a 6% return?
2: They can say that. It's whatever it's whatever you negotiate, the tax benefits are not diminished. Merely the economics change. How much will they produce in terms of profit? How are they splitting that profit with you? That changes and is subject to both their skill and your negotiation. The tax benefits are the same either way.
1: Mm-hmm. Mhm. So uh, I've been I've been reading a lot of emails that have been coming from your office over the last probably two weeks about about how it is now different than it was back when we first talked about this in January what what has changed a number
2: of things I'm still reeling from the fact that IRS regulations for once actually simplify and clarify the law and second instead of narrowing what you can do expand it the big change was that back end the original law said you had to sell the entire fund that is the LLC to get tax-free treatment and that's still an option you can sell the LLC, including the non-opportunity zone assets that are in it and get the treatment. But the new thing, the biggest one I think, was the ability to sell individual assets and still get the tax free treatment. That was a complete change.
1: hmm So so it is in fact somehow getting better than it was when, when it was originally written. Was this one of those laws that Congress just said, yeah, IRS figure it out? And they're well, it and
2: remember, they had a lot of political pressure to get the law written by the end of 17, so they rushed it, and there were inevitable imperfections. And when they asked the IRS to clarify, they instructed them to make it so that this is attractive. And so when the IRS clarified, instead of saying, you can't do this, 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 and that, they actually expanded what you can do, and that's unusual.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I, this, this is vaguely reminiscent of the first-time homebuyer tax credit where it came out and it was one thing. And then over time, it actually, they actually sort of improved it from the perspective of the people that it was, uh, intended to attract. So, um, interesting. All right. So listeners, do you have any more questions? 877-772-9658 or gmail at gmail.com. You're, you're about to lose your opportunity in about 10 minutes here to, um, put forward whatever questions you have. Look, I get it. This is, this is like the third time I've heard about opportunity zone funds. And I feel like I'm just now sort of figuring it out. Uh, but you know, if you have a question and you're like, everyone else probably knows this, I bet you any amount of money, uh, that they, do not know it. So again, 877-772-9658 or alternatively, askvina at gmail.com. Uh, so John, I was talking earlier to uh, a fellow that we both know and that has been a guest here on the show, Bill Cook, and he was telling me that there are opportunities, uh, the opportunity zones were drawn somewhat strangely, and that he has a friend who is buying a $450,000 ski-out condo that is in an opportunity zone.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I believe it. I've got some clients similarly that, you know, a lot of these, they're all to a degree low-income or blighted, but not the whole zone, Hmm. right? There are parts of of some of these zones that have some pretty amazing stuff in them, so we are seeing some of that. Let me throw out one other thing, Vina. You had mentioned what did the new regs change. The general rule is you have 180 days to invest a capital gain. That's the normal rule, Mm -hmm. but there are two big exceptions. If your capital gain comes through a K-1, in other words, you got it from a partnership or S-corporation, or it's what's called a 1231 asset, which includes most rental properties, you have 180 days from the end of the year you sold it in, and that's why you still have 180 days from December 31st, for anything that came through on a K-1 or sale of assets like rentals. I wanted to mention that one because that was another big change. And that's why we're seeing a rush right now. June 28th is the deadline for those types of gains.
1: Okay, okay. Um, So I'm hoping you're going to understand this question, John, because I'm not fully sure I do. This one is from JC in Las Vegas. He says, can someone start an Opportunity Zone fund and create qualifying leases for other investors to buy into with their capital gains?
2: All right. So here's another change that was made. It's a little bit of a specialty thing, which is why I didn't mention it. You can lease property of your own to the Opportunity Zone fund. You could do, for example, sandwich leases, or you could lease something on a 12-month rate, and Airbnb it on a daily rate, sandwich lease or master lease, to give two examples. And those leases have value. They're treated, if you meet the criteria, they are treated as, in and of themselves, an opportunity zone property. You basically value the net present value of the leases, the lease payments, and that's the value of the quote-unquote property. So it's a little exotic. What?
1: That's crazy. All the creative finance people are going to go insane over that.
2: Oh, and Congress foresaw what some of them would do. So it did say, if you play games with options and lease options, we're aware of that, and we don't want you to defeat the purposes of the statute by playing funny games with options. So they actually thought, somebody thought about this.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So now my wheels are spinning so hard, I can hardly uh, pay attention to the fact that I'm supposed to be interviewing you. Uh, So you've now been kind of spreading the word about this pretty hard. I mean, you've, you've, you've done multiple webinars about it. You you're constantly sending out stuff from real estate about it. Uh, you've spoken about it in various places. What are you seeing as the biggest things that people are just completely misunderstanding? Just like they are not getting it about these opportunity zones.
2: Yeah, I think you hit the big one. They think they can just go buy a property in the zone, and boom, they get the magic benefits. There are specific I's to be dotted and T's to be crossed. Um, And I also think they're looking more at the capital gains deferral and forgiveness, which is really nice. And I think a lot of them are still not thinking about what it means to be able to sell tax-free starting in 10 years, to buy, to rent, and then to sell. Let's say that the fund turns ten in twenty twenty nine you buy a property in twenty thirty two rent it out, sit on it for a little bit, sell it in twenty thirty five tax free. I don't think they're seeing that back end
1: oh so so the f- only the fund has to be ten years old, not the property itself. like, like as you- the
2: law as the law's presently written, that's correct, and we think they're going to keep that interpretation. There's been some discussion of are they going to keep it that way? They could change it. But so far, all the changes that they've made are positive, And the hedge fund industry loves this. They're the ones who lobbied for being able to sell the individual assets because they said it's not practical to sell the whole fund. That's not what people do. For example, if you come to me and say, hey, there's a guy with three properties. He wants me to buy the LLC. As your lawyer, I would tell you, no, 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 you're buying whatever wrong the llc has done with it by the properties and that's why they made this change
1: hmm Hmm. okay uh just got a question from the actually this is this is a nope different sam uh about where he can find out where the opportunity zones are and i did uh actually announce that at the top of the show but i will do it again if you go to opportunity zones Plural map dot com. So opportunity zones map dot com. I keep going back to that one over and over and over again. And from from what I can tell from looking at this map, John, there are opportunity zones in literally every state in the United States at this point.
2: Oh, yeah, it was a hotly negotiated issue at the state level because this was a very sought after designation given the development that it's bringing with it.
1: Yeah, I even see some on Long Island which is not a place I typically think of as being full of full of cheap properties that people aren't buying. I was even one in Manhattan. Look at that. Huh. Okay, stop, stop looking at the map, Vienna. People can't see it because you're on the radio. Uh, all right. So um, here in the last five minutes, uh, we're going to pick up some of these questions that uh, are very specific to people's uh, particular. Uh, interests here. Uh, we have a question here from Mike. He says, would a billboard be a commercial property for the purpose of an opportunity zone? <laughs> you know, I haven't
2: thought about that. I'd have to look at the case law and see if it would count as a trader business. I think it could be if it's a new build. I'm just thinking through this out loud. If it's a new build, you put it up. There wasn't anything there before. You put up a billboard or rehabbed an old one. Is that considered a trader business? Probably would be my guess. Probably. I'd have to take a look at Code Section 162 case law to see, but I'll bet you it is.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, and then we have a question here. I'm sorry. I took my cursor off of askbina at gmail.com, and I lost it. Where did it go? Uh, okay, so, like, we literally have, like, three minutes left here, and I don't know if this is one that you can even answer in three minutes, but Sandeep says he bought a property in 2019. What would the steps be to convert it from his personal name into an Opportunity Zone structure? If you can just give us, like, high level, what has to happen next?
2: I think he, I don't think it's doable, because the, the requirement under the statute is the Opportunity Zone Fund... Has to buy the property, so the only way I can salvage past transactions is to argue that the LLC you have really was a fund all along. And sometimes we've been able to do that, but when you buy it personally, it's pretty hard for me to argue that you're a corporation or a tax law partnership.
1: Mm. Okay. So I
2: don't, I, I don't have a good answer for that at this point.
1: Okay, so most uh, most conventional loan, the conventional loans anymore cannot be made to LLCs. And we've seen this, we've actually talked about this on the radio before, you and I, from an asset protection standpoint, that many times if we want to refinance a property, we kind of have to take it out of the LLC, put it in our personal name, and then put it back into the LLC. And I assume that is something that absolutely 100% cannot be done. Actually, you know
2: what? I think it can be done as long as you put it back in the LLC, and there's the key, because you run into a potential due-on-sale issue, Um, but given the tax dollars at stake, I would probably chance it as long as you're comfortable with due-on-sale risk, and here's why. Tax ownership is not always who has the deed. Tax ownership goes to who owns the burdens and benefits, and I think briefly changing the name on the deed to you instead of the LLC. Does not change tax ownership if we're careful about it. A great example is a land contract. When I land contract to you, I'm on title. But the IRS considers you the owner. I think this is a similar situation. So I think that the refi issue you mentioned does not kill it. Go ahead and move the deed to your name briefly. You've got some risk. It's gray law, but I think it's very low risk.
1: Hmm. Interesting. But of course, you know, talk to your talk to your tax consultants personally about the personal situation <laughs> before you go take some advice that you heard on the radio. Uh, okay, well, John, that was uh, very enlightening to me, and I hope to lots of other people I can tell that this is going to be one of those things that, that some people really dig in on and learn and look like geniuses a decade from now for having done it, and other people will blow it off and say, you know, too much red tape, too much work too much money to set up the entity uh but um appreciate you coming in and helping the folks who are going to grab onto it to do that
2: i'm happy to help you keep what's
1: yours (laughs) thank you john you've been listening to real life real estate investing we'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing until then happy investing